Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is your spot in Navy Yard for the NBA Finals as the Golden State Warriors take on the Boston Celtics this Thursday night at 9. Located just across the street from the ballpark, walk on over to Walters. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's the pitch. And it's a shot up the middle. Base hit center field. Davis is rounding third. He's going to try to score. Strange Gordon bobbles the ball. Racing around third is Guillaume. And he's going to score as Nito is in at second. So it's an RBI single and an error on D. Strange Gordon. And Evan Lee has given up his first two runs in the major leagues. It's now 2-0 New York. And a swing and a line drive in the left coming up. Hernandez dives, can't get it, and lets it go by him all the way to the wall. This will clear the bases. Nito will turn his second and stop there. Strange Gordon backing up, goes to get the ball and fires it into third base. Two-run score on the play. It is now 5-0 New York. The walks and the defense, you know, two bad combinations. We got to play better on defense, and we got to limit the walks. You know, the hitting, like I've always said, the hitting comes and goes. That's part of the game. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, June 2nd, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at City Field in New York. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast, a no-doubt route. That's what the Nats three-game series at the National League East leading New York Mets Ended up being uh, Monday night, a 13-5 loss. Tuesday night, a 10-0 loss. Wednesday afternoon, a 5-0 loss. So the Nats got swept into three games at the Mets. The Nats, over the three-game sweep, got outscored 28-5. This was a thorough beatdown for the Nats in this series. Uh, Nats this season, now a National League worst, 18-34. Mike Rizzo spoke at length on Wednesday. We'll be getting to that as uh, this installment of the Nats Chat podcast progresses. Now, Mark, I know that Mike, with you guys on Wednesday afternoon, used, for the most part, clean language. I would imagine that Mike, during this game on Wednesday afternoon, probably was not using such clean language in seeing what he saw. Uh, No, probably not, Alan. I mean, he was pretty prescient, actually, because when I asked him, you know, what kind of things stand out to him about going on with this team so far through the first two months of the season – He said that the discouraging thing in his mind is bad defense, bad base running, walks by pitchers, just the way that he says our margin for error is very small. They can't be given away extra outs in any way. And that's exactly what they did in this game. It's exactly what they've done so many other times. And so it was almost like exactly what Mike Rizzo 
is most concerned about came to fruition in this game, and we've seen a lot of it. And you know, he's not satisfied with the record, obviously, but I think more than that, it's the way they're playing that bugs him and Davey Martinez and really everybody who's around the team every day right now. Yeah, Davey, especially during his postgame session with you guys on Wednesday, was not happy with what's happening in terms of the style of play. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I guess on the one hand, I don't blame them for being upset. On the other hand, it's like, well, what did you expect? I mean, this team, look, we don't talk about this often, but the Nats are essentially tanking this season. They did next to nothing in the offseason. They spent very little money. They brought in veteran guys on cheap contracts, minor league contracts. The team wasn't good to begin with. So, Like, what else was supposed to happen this year? We knew that this team was going to be bad. I suppose you could say, well, the team has been worse than anyone ever anticipated. But it's like, you know, if you're Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez, I get they're going to say things publicly. But privately, like, what exactly were they anticipating from this club with these players this season? Well, I think, like I said, it's not the record. I mean, I think they knew they were going to lose games. And even when you have a rotation like this that struggles, they understand that that's the boat they put themselves in. A lineup that gets shut out back-to-back days, they understand that that's a possibility. But it's the lack of execution on fundamental stuff. And I think it's one thing if we're talking about kids who are struggling with that, but it's another when these are veterans. And I think that's the point they both were making is that these are not players who should be making these kinds of mistakes, not repeatedly making these kinds of mistakes. And it's happening on a regular basis. And so I think that's where the frustration comes in. It's not about that they're losing games. It's about how they're losing games. And I would think that both of them, even in the back of their minds, knowing what they were getting into this year, were not necessarily counting on that happening. Yeah. you know, I think you could say, well, there's a reason these guys who they signed were available. Like This is kind of what they are uh, at this point. It's tough, man. I mean, this series was was a tough swallow if you're a Nats fan. We get that the Mets are really good so far this season and the Nats are not. But man, I mean, 28-5 over three games. I mean, normally the Nats in one game in a series in which they don't play well, score some runs, make you feel halfway decent about things. This was just like from start to finish, the Nats just got outclassed in every possible way. Uh, a second consecutive shutout loss here on Wednesday afternoon. No runs, just six hits, a double and five singles, six walks, but 0-6 with runners in scoring position. I mean, we've, you know, we've had the Nats offense conversation many times, but man, it's something else with this team that in games when it's not on, it really just isn't on. That middle ground just continues to not be in existence. Now, you know, the Nats on Thursday evening at Cincinnati, watch them score 10 runs, right? They're more than capable of doing that. But geez, when they don't score, like they literally don't score. Like this is what they do. They get shut out or they score one or two runs, basically. Yeah. So, I mean, 21 consecutive innings without scoring a run, not since the sixth inning on Monday. And at that point, that game was already a blowout. So, I mean, really this series, you had the top of the first on Monday when they score three runs and take a quick lead. And since that point, there was nothing positive going on. There was nothing to be excited about, whether it's offensively, pitching-wise, defensively, you name it. They were completely outclassed by the Mets in every possible way. And it just, you know, I think it underscores the vast gap now between the top of this division and the bottom of this division. And it's only a few years ago that it was kind of reversed. (laughs) And to think how quickly that has flipped is pretty striking. But I'm just left thinking to myself, okay, they've now got seven games with the Reds and the Marlins, two other uh, cellar dwellers in the National League. And if they come out of those seven games and don't have better results, don't play better, there's a real problem. It's one thing to get beaten up by the Mets. It's another thing if this is happening to you against the other dregs of the league. 
not saying they need to salvage their season or anything like that right here, but you need to play better and win games against the teams that are on par with you. Uh, it's one thing to get blown out by these guys. You can't let that happen again against the teams that they're going to be facing coming up. I don't blame Davey Martinez for what's happening. I don't know how any reasonable person could. That said, when the general manager cites things like, you know, we're playing in a sloppy way and these mistakes that I'm seeing bother me, do you think that Davey, fair or unfair, could end up paying for this with his job at some point this season? Is that a possibility in your mind? I don't think we're there. I think it's maybe more fair at this point, at least, to you know question things about the coaching staff. That's kind of always the, the first move that you make. Uh, and then the last resort is you turn to the manager. You know, Mike and Davey have had a good relationship here for a while. Obviously, after all those years of going through new managers every two years, they found one who took them to the promised land. And you can say, well, hey, that was one year and not even a full year that they did it. And all the other years have been disappointing. And that's fair, 100%. But I just feel like it's really hard to evaluate a manager and a coaching staff this year in the situation that you're in. Now, like you said, the one thing you can judge them on is effort and fundamental stuff and are they getting better or not. I'm really interested to see what the next month or so brings in a player personnel department. We've been talking about for two months how they have been going with a lot of placeholders, some veterans, not sort of purposely holding back some younger guys. Well, we saw Luis Garcia called up now. He's going to be the everyday shortstop for the foreseeable future. We saw them call up a kid, Evan Lee, to make the start in this game. I think there's going to be more of this over the next month. I think mentally, they are ready to make a little transition here to go from what they were for the first two months of the season to now starting to look ahead and saying, we want to start playing more guys who are going to be a part of this or potentially going to be a part of this moving forward. And because of that, I think it is a little different evaluation period coming up. Yeah. I mean, I think I think a lot of people listen to that and say, why weren't the Nats doing that from the start? Like, what were we doing for the first two months with the Alcides Escobars of the world to begin with? But what's done is done. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It feels like everything is going up these days, including home prices. And so there's no better time to have the look of your home go up and the value of your home go up with new windows from Window Nation. Get two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. Take advantage of this offer. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Window Nation windows are the best. The average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with over 20,000 windows installed. Window Nation offers 1,500 custom window combinations, including vinyl, wood, and fiberglass. Window Nation is the best. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you ask for the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We had to put um, Escobar on, on the IL. He's still sore. So, But, you know, Louie's been playing well, and uh, he's hitting well. Um, so to, he's the next best available guy we got. So uh, we're going to give him opportunities. And, uh, and I talked to him today, and he's going he's gonna to play every day. You know, and I'm going to bat him. I tell him some days I'll bat you seventh, some days I'll bat you eighth, it's depending on what, but you're going to play shortstop every day, left-handed, right-handed, and um, you know, so I think, you, I think you're going to get an opportunity to play, so we'll see how he does. So you mentioned Luis Garcia. He is up, finally. He has been summoned. Uh, the prodigal son has returned. Uh, the Nats on Wednesday morning placed Alcides Escobar on the 10-day injured list with a right hamstring strain that he suffered on Tuesday night. So I guess it wasn't just a cramp. It was a bit more uh, than just the cramp that uh, Alcides uh, made mention of there after the game on Tuesday night. And the corresponding roster move was the Nats on Wednesday morning recalling Luis Garcia from AAA Rochester. Uh, he has continued to hit for Rochester, a batting average of 314, on-base percentage 368, slugging percentage of 531. The concern with him had been his defense. That's why he had been at AAA Rochester. Now, is he up now solely because Alcides Escobar is hurt and the Nats still don't feel like he's ready? Or is Luis Garcia up now because the Nats do feel like he's ready? Because for the longest time, what we were told is what happens with Alcides Escobar isn't going to govern what we do with Luis Garcia. And through all of Alcides Escobar's struggles, we continued to not see Luis Garcia called up. So what do you think is true here? Do they feel like Luis Garcia is quote unquote ready or did they just do this because they didn't really have any other viable options in their minds in terms of an everyday shortstop? So I think it's a combination of the two. I think if Escobar gets hurt two weeks ago, three weeks ago, could be a different story. Maybe they call up Lucius Fox and say, hey, we're going to try to get through 10 to 14 days, whatever it is that he's out and just make do with that. But I think happening now, they've seen more from Luis. Maybe in their perfect world, they weren't quite there yet, but I think they were getting closer. I do. I think, like I said, I, I've gotten the sense here uh, over the last few days that they are starting to mentally make that transition and say, okay, we've gone through the early portion of the season. We are ready to start bringing guys up and start to see what they can do for us. So I think they were probably close to doing it anyways. If this happened, you know, a week or two from now, maybe he gets called up regardless of whatever happens to Escobar. And, you know, with him, I know he said it wasn't bad last night and he said oh, it was a cramp and things would be fine. He walked into the clubhouse this morning. He's still limping a little bit. And listen, you cannot proceed <laughs> with a starting shortstop who has an issue like that. And he could be the best shortstop in the world. You still have to make sure that you have somebody healthy out there. So I think they just got to a point like, hey, listen, buddy, take 10 days off. If you're fine, we'll bring you back after that. But we need to make this move right now. Now, the interesting thing is that Davey said Luis Garcia will be their everyday shortstop. And I asked him, okay, so when Escobar is healthy again, is that a conversation you're going to need to have with him? And he said, yes, that is a conversation they will have. So he certainly indicated that unless it's clear in their minds that Luis really isn't ready for this, 
that he is here and he's here to stay and he's going to continue to play. And Escobar, even when healthy, will take on a lesser role. Yeah. And that's, I think, as things should be. And clearly now it's just up to Luis Garcia to make sure that when Alcides Escobar is healthy, the starting shortstop job remains Luis Garcia's. Garcia on Wednesday afternoon as an at starting shortstop and number seven batter, one for four with a single and three strikeouts. Uh, he in the top of the fourth had a one out single through the right side of the infield on a one-two pitch. Uh, some other notes from this game, and then we'll get to the Mike Rizzo stuff. So the Nats two Hernandezes struggled in this game, Yadiel and Cesar. Uh, Yadiel, by the way, really has cooled off. He on uh, Wednesday afternoon, starting left fielder, number five batter, 0 for 3 with a walk. He left five men on base. Uh, Cesar Hernandez on Wednesday afternoon. You know, he's been good lately, but he struggled on Wednesday, 0 for 5. Uh, with a couple of strikeouts. Good game for Josh Bell. Let me give him credit. Uh, He was a Nats cleanup batter, two for three with a double, a single, and a walk. Uh, Good game for Riley Adams on Wednesday afternoon. He got the spot start uh, with the day game after the night game at catcher, uh, two for three with two singles. I think Riley Adams did a pretty good job. He's not playing often, but when he plays, he seems to always do something offensively. So I think that that is, uh, is something that he deserves. Uh, some credit for. And then with Evan Lee. So I guess with Evan Lee, you have to say he did just about what you thought that he would end up doing. I mean, he, he makes this spot start on Wednesday afternoon, gets called up on Wednesday morning officially from AA Harrisburg. Mentioned this on the last installment of the podcast, a 2018 15th round pick out of the University of Arkansas. I mean, think about where the Nats were with their starting pitching just a few years ago. And now here we are in 2022. They have to dip down to double A to get a 15th round pick from 2018 to make a start like this. Like that tells you something. And it's not like this guy's 21. He's already in his mid 20s. This is his age 25 season. Uh, Two runs in three and two thirds innings. He gave up four hits, all of which were singles. He issued three walks and a hit by pitch. He had two strikeouts, began his outing with three scoreless innings, although not a single one of those innings was a clean inning. And then he gave up two runs in the bottom of the fourth inning, including a one-out two-run single by Tomas Nito, on which D. Strange Gordon, who got the start in center field, committed a fielding error. Uh, He just basically allowed the baseball to bounce off his glove as the ball rolled to him. I thought it was interesting. Davey told you guys after the game, Evan Lee's going to start again. This was not just like a one-time thing, at least for now. Feels like we're going to see Evan Lee at least one more time. I guess that's dependent on what happens with Steven Strasburg, but perhaps this was not just a one-start situation for Evan Lee. Yeah, I thought that was the most notable thing to come out of it because at least coming into this, we're thinking, okay, it's a spot start and chances are they may not need him again, but I think he showed enough that Davey said we want to see more of him. He handled the situation well. I agree. I think under the circumstances, that's about everything you could expect from him against a really good lineup. He had traffic all day. Um, he was able to get out of it with some good pitches and also some good luck behind him. But he also wasn't helped a whole lot by his defense. And he arguably could have gotten out of that without anybody coming across or maybe just the one run. Uh, they could have pushed him a little bit further. But I think the plan all along was thinking probably four innings at tops and don't need to do anything more than that. He handled himself well. He was obviously really excited to be here. He called it a success, just the fact that he had breached the big leagues, something he'd been dreaming about his whole life. So as far as what happens next, it's interesting because like we said, if Steven Strasburg is ready, and right now they're not saying he won't be, I think they want to see how he does on Friday in Rochester and then make the determination based off of that, he would be ready to go next week in Miami. Now, I suppose there's a scenario where... Strasburg does come back next week and Evan Lee gets another chance to pitch anyways. And maybe they make a move with Joanna Doan or somebody else in the rotation who isn't up to snuff right now. I don't know that they view Evan Lee as a piece to this rotation for the rest of the season. We're going to see him make 20 starts now, anything like that. But I think they saw enough in this one to say, 
Let's see again what he can do. Let's give him another shot, especially against what would be a far less imposing lineup if it is the Marlins that he faces next week. Yeah, this really was a tough spot that he got thrust into, you know, relatively short notice, and he's facing the Mets on the road like this. The Nats offense is doing nothing right now. I mean, you know, he's talking about setting up a guy to have success. This was the exact opposite on Wednesday afternoon. So I don't know how much more people could have anticipated. You know, the other thing, too, with this game on Wednesday and then this series. So the Nats, you know, very few off days right now, pitching depth situation. Short start in game one of this series, short start in game two of this series, and then the bullpen does not get the job done on Wednesday afternoon. Davey Martinez had to use six relievers in this game on Wednesday afternoon. Victor Arano, Carl Edwards Jr., Steve Ciszek, Kyle Finnegan, Jordan Weems, and Josh Rogers all ended up pitching in this game. You cannot have that when you don't have another off day coming up here. Uh, until Monday. I mean, I guess it is now on the horizon. But man, I mean, they're making all these moves up and down, left and right in terms of optioning guys. And that's on Wednesday morning, by the way, optioned Francisco Perez officially back to AAA Rochester. And, you know, some of these guys were good. Arano was good. Edwards was good. But C-Shack in the bottom of the seventh, charged with a run, gets just one out. Uh, Jordan Weems in the bottom of the eighth, gives up two runs, records just two outs. He gave up a double, a single, a walk. He issued a wild pitch. Josh Rogers has to be brought into the game to get the final out in the bottom of the eighth. Now, he he threw one pitch and got the out, so it's like not even an outing, I guess. But just the fact that he had to warm up and be brought into the game, it's like you want fresh arms. You need fresh arms right now. And then you get this. Six relievers have to cover four into third innings in this game on Wednesday. It was the Rogers appearance that kind of was most curious to me because I thought by him not having to pitch much on Monday or Tuesday, he sets up perfectly to be the guy who backs up Lee and he'll give you multiple innings and get through the middle innings to get you late into the game. And instead, they hold him out and it looks like they're not going to need him at all until they need him to throw literally one pitch to get one out in the bottom of an eighth of a game that they're losing five nothing. Now, I don't think that knocks him out for you know Thursday's game or anything like that, but it's still not ideal. It's not what you want from the guy who's supposed to be one of your long men in the bullpen. And so that one was curious to me. Look, they're scrambling right now. I mean, they are piecing this together however they can. The last three days were almost a nightmare scenario when it came to trying to put together a pitching staff and figure out how to navigate your way through a game and get 27 outs. And like I said, they were not helped by their defense at all. I would say four of the five runs that scored in this game could be attributed to poor play behind them. So if Cesar Hernandez makes a play. If Juan Soto makes a play in right field, if Yadiel Hernandez doesn't dive for a ball, land on his face and see the ball roll all the way to the wall, it might be a different story and maybe they don't ever have to use some of these other relievers. So I think that contributed to it in this game. Well, you mentioned Juan Soto, so let's get to that here right now. Uh, Juan Soto on Wednesday afternoon, yet another underwhelming game. Uh, by the way, he was back to being the Nats' number two batter for this game, uh, but 0 for 4 with a walk and two strikeouts. That rough defensive moment came in a Mets one-run seventh inning. He took a very poor route to a lazy fly ball that ended up falling in front of him and then like ricocheted off him. Check on the runner. Here it comes. Fastball blooped to shallow right. Soto broke back. Now coming in. It'll drop in front of him. It was a misplay. Over to third goes Nito. Soto took a poor route on that one. He was angling back toward the line and then came tearing in. But the big item with Juan Soto on Wednesday was what Mike Rizzo said regarding Soto on Wednesday morning. So Mike Rizzo on Wednesday morning did his weekly appearance with the Sports Junkies on 106.7 The Fan. And he got asked about this trade talk regarding Juan Soto that isn't going away. Now, 
if you're unfamiliar with what's going on here, like, of course, the prospect of the Nats potentially trading Juan Soto has been out there for a while and will continue to be out there. It has been a particular topic, though, lately because of ESPN's Buster only. Buster keeps writing about the Nats potentially trading Soto. But the thing is, if you've been reading what Buster has been writing about the Nats potentially trading Soto, you know that Buster hasn't really been reporting anything. The writing has been purely speculative. He's not actually saying this is going to happen or this is the works. He's saying, well, if this happens, then what else would happen? Or if Soto got traded, to whom might he be traded? And, you know, look, Buster, like a lot of us, is in the business of having to pump out content. So it's understood what he's doing. But because he's a reporter, I think a lot of people are taking these pieces and saying to themselves, hmm, what does Buster know that maybe the rest of us don't know? Anyway, Rizzo goes on the junkies on Wednesday morning and he gets asked the following question and then you'll hear Mike's response. Are you trading Juan Soto? We are not trading Juan Soto. We made it clear to his agent and to the player. I, you know, I understand we uh, these uh, journalists have to, uh, you know, they've got to fill a, a blank sheet of paper every day. It's a, hmm. it's a good, uh, it's a good thing to uh, to get some uh, to get some attention on on a story. But uh, we have every intention of building this team around Juan Soto, and, uh, and we've we've spoken to his agent many many times recently. Sat with him when he was in Washington D.C. Made it clear to him that uh, we are not interested in trading him, and I uh, guess the rest of the world just doesn't believe it. So uh, that, that's our position. All right. So Mike Rizzo on Wednesday morning with the Junkies saying, quote, we are not trading Juan Soto. We've made it clear to his agent and to the player. We have every intention of building this team around Juan Soto, end quote. Mike has said this before, so this really isn't new. And it's funny because this became a national story. Like ESPN picked up on this. A lot of people picked up on this. You know, if you go by the verb conjugation here, we are not trading Juan Soto, okay? You're not in the process of trading Juan Soto. Mike didn't say we will never trade Juan Soto. Mike said what he has said before. We want to keep Juan. We want to sign Juan to an extension. So look, I get this being a big deal, This really isn't new. This really wasn't like that newsy on Wednesday. It's funny sometimes what kind of catches fire and gains traction. Now, you guys talked to Mike Rizzo at length prior to the game, and I know he spoke more about the Juan Soto situation. Did he say anything that he did not say uh, on the radio on Wednesday morning? Well, here, I'll I'll read you the transcript of the the particular question about uh, this. We talked about Soto just in general and how he's playing, and, and, and Rizzo said that, like, he said, uh, we have a lot of things to worry about with the Nationals. Juan Soto is not one of them. So he's not worried about the way that he is playing. I think that's important to note here as well. But then he was asked, you know, in relation to what he was asked on the radio today and the stories that you're mentioning have been out there. He says, is it frustrating to you that this kind of talk is going on, that there's all the speculation about him and the possibility of being traded? And Rizzo's answer, and I'll, I'll quote it directly, he says, no, it doesn't frustrate me. I get it. You guys have got a blank piece of paper to fill up. And this is a very clickable, very writable story. And I can only say so many times and in so many words what our decision on that topic is. So he's kind of doubling down on what he said earlier in the morning. I appreciate that he says that. I would say when he says, you guys have got a blank piece of paper to fill up, this isn't any of us on the Nationals beat making a big deal out of this. This is coming from the national media, not the local media. What I would also say is this. What do you expect Mike Rizzo to say if he's asked that question? Are you, do you expect him to say, yes, we're going to trade Juan Soto? Like, of course, he's not going to say that. But I do genuinely believe that that is not at all in his plan at the moment. I would also say that a year ago on June 1st, trading Trey Turner was not at all in his plan. But by the time we got to July 31st and all the things that happened to led up to it, that's the move that made the most sense. 
So do I think it's completely out of the question that come the trade deadline this year, they could be in a position where he says, you know what, maybe this is something we have to consider. No, I think that's absolutely possible. I think it's unlikely. I think it's more unlikely than what happened last year because Soto has two years to go. The organization believes that it is going to build a team that by the time his contract is up is in a better position to win again. And you have Rizzo in a way that he has not with any other previous superstar free agent to be openly saying our priority is to re-sign this guy to a long-term deal. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. Doesn't mean that there's any reason to think that Juan Soto or Scott Boris are going to agree to that before the day he becomes eligible for free agency. But I think the rhetoric is a little different with Juan Soto. And so that's why I am inclined to believe Rizzo here to say, this is not at all something they intend to do or in their plans. But that doesn't mean that a lot of things can't change between now and then, as we saw last July. Yeah. And when we've discussed the Juan Soto situation, we've never talked about this year, the Nats potentially trading him. It's you know, if like they're going to trade him, it probably wouldn't happen until at the earliest this coming off season, and even then is kind of early. Like it really would be next year, and then certainly the year after that that the Soto trade talk would gain a lot of steam. So, like this thing of oh, Mike Rizzo has said that the Nats aren't trading Juan Soto this season. Okay, I mean nobody really was anticipating that happening anyway. At least those of you who cover the team and those of us who follow and watch the team. The big wild card in all of this, obviously, is this Nats ownership uncertainty. There's no way that Juan Soto's agreeing on a contract extension until the ownership situation is resolved. And I don't blame him for that at all. So we don't know when that's going to be resolved, but until that's resolved, we have no idea. The other thing, too, is Mike Rizzo's situation, right? Presumably, his option is going to be picked up. But even if it does get picked up, that's only one more year that he's under contract. So maybe next year ends up being his final season as Nats GM. And maybe, you know, some 25-year-old graduate of Yale comes in to run the Nats front office. And he has all kinds of ideas on what to do. Like, we just don't know. I brought this up on a recent uh, installment of the podcast here. There's just so much uncertainty right now. We just don't know. So to say anything with certainty right now is ridiculous. So many things could change between now and, you know, the start of July, let alone now and, you know, 2023, 2024. But with Rizzo talking to you guys at length, I know he covered a lot of topics. Did he address guys like Cade Cavalli and Cole Henry and what he's thinking with them? Yes, he did. He talked about Cavalli basically admitting that he is still learning how to be a full-time professional pitcher, that you know he was a, a part-time pitcher and position player when he was in college. He's still getting used to the idea of being a regular pitcher as a professional and that there's going to take time to to do that to to learn all that. So it sounded to me like you know when they think he's ready they'll call him up and make sure that he's uh, on big league staff, but it didn't sound to me like they are on the cusp necessarily of doing that and he believes in the process they've been doing with him. Now with Cole Henry and he brought him up specifically Cole Henry and said that he is going to be in AAA soon. And I'm going to try to find the exact quote here. He's just a guy we're being very careful with because of his college injury history. We're trying to stretch him out the right way. He'll be in AAA very, very soon. And talked about how they're going to have a staff there of Cavalli and Henry and Jackson Tetro. And he was speaking very highly of the player development they have going on right now. We've talked about where they are in terms of rankings and things like that. He spoke very highly of this and said, and really doubled down on the idea that what you're seeing at the big league level right now is not indicative of the plan, as it were, 
taking longer than expected. He said they are right on track with how he believes this rebuild should be taking place and again compared it to the last time they were in this position and said they are in a way better position right now than they were in 2009. And of course, they won the division in 2012. Believe him or not, you will have to see how these guys all turn out, but he is banking on this farm system already being in a better position because of guys like Cavalli and Henry and Brady House and others. I hope he's right. It's certainly possible that he is right. But I think if someone's listening to this and has a skeptical ear, uh, I don't blame you. I mean, you look at the prospect rankings, the farm system rankings, the Nats remain near the bottom of MLB. I mean, that's just what the truth is. And I mean, look, in 2009, things were really bad. But then in 2009, the Nats drafted Steven Strasburg. In 2010, the Nats drafted Bryce Harper. In 2011, the Nats drafted Anthony Rendon. And, you know, all of a sudden things changed. Are they about to have a stretch of draft choices like those? I hope so. I hope so. But uh, the recent draft history uh, would say you probably shouldn't bet the mortgage on that. So we'll see. But I'm, you know, I'm glad Mike Rizzo thinks that. And I hope that he's right. I hope like heck that he's right. Because what we saw in this series at the Mets was very humbling. You know, if you're a fan of the team, you know, it's not that long ago, right? This team every year was a playoff contender. And you see this, what we saw on Wednesday afternoon, the culmination of one of the worst three-game series that I can remember the Nats having since they got good. I mean, I know there have been some bad stretches in series. The Nats got swept by the Orioles last year. But Mark, I mean, you've covered this team since the beginning. 28-5 is the cumulative score over these three games. It's hard to remember a series quite like this one for this team, certainly in recent memory. I would probably say the the thing that it makes me think of is back in the day in the 08, 09, 2010 years of when they would play the Phillies, who were the total powerhouse at that point, won the World Series, went back to the World Series. And they steamrolled them every time they played them with that star-studded uh, roster that they had at the time. This felt like that. Now, you can say, okay, a few years later, the Nats were the ones beating up on the Phillies. And that did flip pretty quickly the way that went. Um, but it has gone the opposite direction right now. And right now, the New York Mets are clearly the class of this division and so far superior to what the Washington Nationals are in 2022. Keep the faith. Stay with us. We are here till the bitter end. You tell us what you think. You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Our Nats Chat Podcast t-shirts are available. You can get yours by going to NatsChatPodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. All right, so we ask you this, it seems like almost every week, but Corbin pitched, I believe he had 13 outs, 12 hits. I heard Davey Martinez saying he's doing everything we're asking of him. He's hitting the strike zone. What are you guys seeing in Patrick Corbin? I'm seeing a guy that's not locating his fastball 